Hello, everybody. This is Matthew. And this is Kevin. And we have arrived at the ultimate episode of Deep Space Nine. Uh, what You Leave Behind? Yes. Not All That You Leave Behind, which is a U2 album. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been a really up and down ride. Uh, maybe we can sum up our thoughts at the end of it. Uh, this is concluding the big final arc, such as it is. Uh, which has also been a wild ride with <laughs> ups and downs. Yeah, some sideways. Um, uh, I remember I, I graduated high school the year this uh, episode came out, so it was a bit. It, it was like a oh, one of my favorite shows is ending, and I'm leaving high school, so it was like a big uh, transition time for me. Hmm. Um, I've said this before. I think part of my affection for Deep Space Nine is um, I saw it what I think is the most appropriate age to see it like my teenage years um i think i was probably more forgiving of some of its <laughs> numerous flaws than i might have been had i already been in college um but it was definitely a, uh, and consciously so an attempt at a more mature show or a, just a darker darker i think is a little reductive but more complex show than than tng or tos had been and i appreciated that um i'll reserve I, I, i've been Think, trying to think, what did I think about this at the time? And I have a vague, I have a vague recollection of what I thought about it, but I'm going to hold off on trying to summon that too much because I want to see if I can, you know, judge this for what it is rather than just what I recall it being. Yeah, for me, um, I was watching VHS tapes off of the television uh, that my parents had compiled <laughs> because I had moved out. Uh, I was living in Chicago, as I still am, I suppose. Um, so I was catching up. I, this was sort of the embryonic quote unquote binge watching, mm. you know, uh, experience <laughs> being able to watch four or five episodes. Now that's nothing new to, to you. Of course, Kevin, both of us binge watched TNG. Oh yeah. Basically through our entire childhoods, um, off of VHS tapes. Right. Uh, so I had a different experience than some people at the time. I suppose that's the experience most people have now if they're watching it. You know, they're yeah. just like, I'll just watch whatever I feel like, you know, as many episodes as I want, right? I, I wasn't at the edge of my seat. I knew the show was ending. You know, I didn't know the story. Um, I wasn't as invested as I was in TNG or Voyager, but we can get to that later. So why don't we start the show, get your media queued up, and we will all press play simultaneously in three two one press play one thing i notice immediately is that this does not open with a last time or previously on deep space nine which i like i find that those things kind of i don't know drag you out of the moment or like the, the people who don't the people who do know don't need it and the people who don't know aren't going to get caught up in that little recap <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I, presumably it was demanded by the syndicators. So, Bashir okay. and Ezra. A couple of things I hate about this scene already. Um, first, I just don't care enough about them or their relationship. Second, he's been the Dax symbiont host doctor for seven years now. He's also just a doctor. He knows how far down the spots go. That joke is cheap. It's she is a very attractive woman, and the spots are quite flattering, but that's neither here nor there. 
I'm just trying to imagine sleeping with someone else with triangular pillows that go the wrong way. Yeah, no, it's it, it, it it's one of those um it's the future, so things are different things, and that's like the 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 things they have done to bedwear and night clothes in Star Trek in an attempt to telegraph that it's the future are shocking and annoying. <laughs> Voyager, Voyager is the show that's actually had realistic uh, bedding, especially when Tom and Bellana got together. They made themselves actually quite a nice bed that someone today would actually want to use. Like this, jeez. Hey, it's Keiko. <laughs> he hasn't been around for... Yeah, I, I've read some interviews with uh, Rosalind Shower. She's like, "Oh yeah, once I once I, they had that second kid, it's like I know I'm not going to be around. Get, ha, like having the act, like you know, casting a baby is like super logistically complicated for well, and all the filming and stuff. Yeah. Please don't touch that thing that's taking up forty percent of our quarters. I mean, I, I, I enjoy that. Also, I, Kelly is here with us, and I can see her smiling and casting They've an got eye. a toddler in the room. <laughs> yeah, there's no way. Yeah. Also, I'm sitting here in your home, Matt, and I'm, I'm seeing your uh, Mega Bloks Enterprise and, have, and doing a bit of comparison. Um, yeah, the Enterprise is taking up nowhere, nowhere near the size of the Alma model, I agree. All right, so Daddy's going to teach the Academy. That's interesting. I, why haven't you told Julian? I just like because the plot said not. No to. kid says that. Not even Teddy. So we've just learned that Cassidy is pregnant at the end of last episode. Um, she's got morning sickness, apparently, which is the TV ailment for all pregnancies. Um, most of the women I knew uh, who have been pregnant had like. There was no near, like, neatness about their, their nausea. It was like either they didn't have it or they had it at various random times. It, it, it is one of those, like, um, like like if a pregnant woman in her eight and a half month of pregnancy gets on an elevator, that elevator will break down. It's just one of those story tropes that's a little annoying. She doesn't look very pregnant, by the way. Well, she should, she's only, like, a month along. She shouldn't even be showing. So they're going to the Defiant, which, if you don't recall, last episode they got a new ship and renamed it the Defiant, which completely uh, undermined the destruction of the Defiant as being anything we care about. Yeah. Why? I don't get it. I mean, if they've got standing sets for it or something, I guess is the, the real answer. Yeah, and Jake's back. I haven't seen Jake in a while. Yeah. This is starting to feel like a cast reunion show. <laughs> so I don't think they're overplaying any like foreshadowing or anything. No, yeah, uh, I, I, I mean, especially with the O'Briens, I've always liked their, you know, home life scenes. They've always read as very natural and organic, other than the precociousness of their children. Some kids are just precocious. Sure. And Nog's back. Nog was back last episode, which was the Ferengi finale. Here's our standard armada shot. 
That's what an armada looks like, not just one ship. <laughs> and they're going the right way, not to Australia. <laughs> Hopefully no one will ever get that reference because it'll be so far past everybody that, you know, like, huh? Oh, that was that crazy time for a year or something. Okay, anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, the... How's the the final arc been going for you? I enjoyed its ambition. I, I just I recall that feeling sharply from watching it the first time, and I haven't lost it. Yeah, I think the reviews. first time you see it, you're like, "Wow, they're really going like they're going nuts." Like I'm different than yeah. prior Star Trek. Yeah. I really feel like the show, in in many ways, and it's not really something you can separate out. I feel like the show is a bit ahead of its time, like. Given that Ron Moore went on to do Battlestar Galactica, it's hard not to see the, the the through lines here where, you know, he cut his teeth in a lot of that kind of storytelling. Sure. And so you kind of wish you could just go back and take another swing at a few things to tighten the bolts on DS9 or maybe maybe get to where they wanted to go sooner. I, I think we I think we agreed that the first two seasons were largely misspent attempting to tell st stories in the style of Next Generation while trying to not be Next Generation. And like, you know, Needless Bee stories and Aliens of the Week that worked better. They were more plausible, at least, when it was the Enterprise going to new places. Yeah, yeah. Um, here, it's just like, I, I think Ron Moore today probably could have found a way to make the Bajoran politics story just better. Well, I think they would have gone to harder you know, places with bigger dilemmas, you know, like the greatest part of Battlestar was when, you know, basically the humans were the Iraqis right. and the Cylons, you know, were the, or sorry, humans were ISIS, you know, and the Cylons were the occupying army, right. right? You know, to put the humans in that terrorist position, you know, when you have a, a situation like Bajor, you can tell some really tough stories that really get at, you know, allegorical connections to, you know, American and world history. And they just didn't. Yeah. You know? So here's the green. I think had the series lasted one episode longer, I would have been really, really over the, the Breen speak. <laughs> but she, she, she tags it when she says, I find his voice very like yeah. at least at least they acknowledge that the shtick might be wearing a little thin. And Salome Jens has an a lovely delivery all the time, you know, just, just she's just very good at that dry delivery that just, it's it works. Oh, Jeffrey Combs, the the saddest part about the show ending is one less thing for Jeffrey Combs to be doing. The way he's almost like curtsying is very <laughs> funny. Like I want to see some period. I'm uh, listening. I'm, I'm to a podcast on the French Revolution, and I can't help but picture Jeffrey Combs is playing some like perfectly pitched, like obsequious Vatican diplomat or something. You yeah, know, like sure. Founders and wives and all things. <laughs> uh, I want to take the class he teaches on how to breathe out slightly too much when you speak. <laughs> They also did a good job casting Broca. He looks like a jerk. Oh, he's a Quisling. Uh, you know, he's the perfect Quisling. Yeah, I agree. 
Um, like, men with cheekbones that nice have to be evil. There are rules. <laughs> well, as presumably the original Quisling was. You know yeah. that story? The, yeah, the, the Norwegian, right? Uh, or Swedish. Norwegian. Well, that I'm not sure. Yeah. But some Scandinavian yeah. prime minister capitulated immediately to the Nazis uh, and sort of threw their lot in with them. And you know, I, I guess the word isn't used as much now. And it's too bad because it's a great word. Quisling, uh, a collaborator. So, yeah, the um, the set use on this kind of stuff just kind of doesn't do it for me. Yeah, it, it all looks like weird. Like, even if they had explained it as Cardassian architecture looks like, you know, the basement of a library. Well, and Cardassians don't like bright light. It's supposed to be warm. Sure. Okay, fine. But, you know. It doesn't um, make the most interesting thing to look at. Well, look at this screen. And then compare it to any screen from All Good Things. Yeah. You see, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like the production values just don't feel as yeah. It's not like they're. It's like well, let's use all the money we have left. Yeah. You know. Um, it's it's hard not to get notes of Princess Leia rescuing yeah. <laughs> Han in this getup, <laughs> which I'm not overly mad at. I like <laughs> I like Princess Leia and I like Major Kira so. It's actually like a cross between the Return of the Jedi outfit and the aliens from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, <laughs> that sort of big foam uh, get-up. Yeah. Like, just all the places they're choosing to put these conversations are the least interesting places, you know? Uh, so, Kevin, you were talking about, uh, is it Mila? Or Mila, yeah. Mila, you know, potentially being Garrick's mother. Yeah, and um, I, I, there, there's a book called A Stitch in Time that Andrew Robinson, the actor, wrote, and it's set in a um, post-war Cardassia, and it goes through Garrick's childhood and uh, initiation into the Obsidian Order, and it posits that uh, Mila was an Auburn Taine's housekeeper with whom a affair produced this child that is Garrick. And looking back, I thought that was either either very astute of Andrew Robinson or just a cut piece of dialogue. Um, because Garrick's affection for her, like there, there's something there in their performance that reads they are closer than merely his boss's housekeeper. Check the plasma flow regulators. The Defiant suffers the most, I think. Um, like TNG had this problem a little. Like there were sometimes it's like, why is Jordy on the bridge? Oh, because you want the cast on the bridge. Um, it does seem like O'Brien should be in the engine room. Yeah. Well, and Bolt, so look, I mean, in TOS, they frequently had Bones on the bridge, but they frequently had him off the bridge, yeah. first of all. But second of all, he actually had a deep personal relationship with the captain in which he gave advice right. nearly every turn. Right. Bashir doesn't have it. And why the hell is Esri not only on the bridge, but on the ship? Right. She's a counselor. That, huh? Like, Worf, sure. Odo, yeah. He's going to do stuff on Cardassia. Nog, whatever. He's trained to be a yeah. You know? And O'Brien, I get it. Yeah. Maybe there are things he can do here. That... Right. Or, like, Bashir should at least already be in sickbay. Yeah. Preparing. Creating fake blood or something. 
So they're giving us these uh, Julian O'Brien notes about their friendship. Yeah. Okay, because spoiler alert, you know, by the end of the episode, they will be separated. You know, O'Brien's going to move on in his life with Keiko and all that, right? Yeah. So, it, like, this is sort of the series-long bromance, and they've got to put a pin in it and give it some closure. Yeah. Right? I don't know how... Like, I actually think their Extreme Measures stuff... Was a better button. A better, yeah. It's like, it's kind of superfluous here. And I'll get this... Uh, I'll, I'll get to this later in the episode. It did feel like, for some reason, they decided to just offload all of the characters from the ship except Kira and Quark. Yeah, I think... The lack of Quark here is... Uh, I mean, I know it would have taken some doing to have him there for some right, reason. Right, right. Or maybe he could have been in his own ship. Maybe the Ferengi under, you know, Rom could have pledged ships to the Armada or something. Yeah. Right? And so then uh, Quark can be on Rom's ship or something. Your journey's end lies not before you, but behind you. None of the prophet stuff ever makes any sense. And th this is something I felt from the beginning. They just never had a clear enough idea of what it meant for Cisco to be the emissary for them to invest the volume of time that they did in it. To be fair, though, having it be his mom is way better than having the prophets be Im you know, everyone. Yeah, embodied as the other actors. That's just, this is a beautiful matte painting, by the way. Yep. Vedra uh, looks great. Also, how much have I missed? Watching Kai Wen and Ducat, like, yeah, yeah. a shit ton, because yeah. <laughs> this is by far the best part. It just fucking crackles. <laughs> like, it's just, oh, there's, I will say, something I've always loved about Star Trek is they, they cast like nobody's business. There's really been a handful of times where either of us have really thought this actor is just plain not good enough, or this actor is just doing something they're not, they, while they are good, this is not their wheelhouse. But, like, the, the way they find these, like, you know, professional workhorse actors with, you know, decades-long careers in theater and character work that just get to, like, chew the scenery in the most... And that's, like, the, like a, I mean that as a compliment, where it's just, like, they can just tear into things. And it's, it's, it's like, if someone told me that, like, some, you know, production of Shakespeare was going up with Mark Alimo, Mark Alimo Louise Fletcher, Jeffrey Combs, and, you know... Uh, who played Admiral Forrest? Uh, the uh, what's his Von Armstrong. Armstrong? Like I, I'd watch that. Like it's just like they're so good. I was waiting for you. She says, "Oh, then you do oh, forget." His him. leer is so good, and it's like, <laughs> and you can't not see his Cardassian face when he's doing it, and it's like, oh god, it's the same one you get Kara's mob, you gross pervert, like. <laughs> Oh, I love how petty she is. <laughs> and their emissary. Like, you're literally un unleashing your, your, your planet's Armageddon and you're still jealous of Cisco. Ugh. <laughs> also, Marco Limo is a craggy man. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and it really works. It it sort of adds to the kind of creepiness of him kissing hands and stuff. So, Cork is playing Go Fish with Vic Fontaine. I, there have been better Vic Fontaine episodes and not so good Vic Fontaine episodes. Uh, he's fine here. Yeah, I, I, I can't be mad at Vic Fontaine, like, qua Vic Fontaine. Like, James Darren does a great job embodying... Like, he walks a fine line of giving you this 60s shtick without making you want to gouge your own eyes out. Um... I also find this, like, little, like, this place is period-specific, so he can't play non-human card games. <laughs> but he also holds, a like, what for the time would be a shockingly liberal viewpoint on the world. I'm just saying, like... Well, and also, in prior episodes, he's been allowed to go to different programs... Right. ...and to assimilate all the information in the computer to, you know, come on. Yeah. It's just, it's so-so writing. <laughs> the hospitality she isn't for the faint-hearted. It's, I mean, I do like that Vic Fontaine is sort of drawing Cork out, and now Cork is interested in the conversation, yeah. even though he's very cynical, generally. And it's the perfect Vic Fontaine role, yeah. you know, is to, to draw out the real characters. And of course, what's the best way to get to anybody's heart is to ask them to talk but, about but themselves. Yeah. And as I, and Armin Shimmerman is just the grandmaster of like ridiculous dialogue that sounds completely sincere. <laughs> I'm not a bartender. Why, like, why isn't Quirk just, you know, having sex with Vulcans or something? Yeah. There maybe there should have been a line of dialogue where he said, you know, huh. I just... I've watched this episode a thousand times, and it's not until I saw it on this size screen that I realized there was like a carved archway around the entrance of the fire <laughs> caves. That does not show up in standard definition. <laughs> watching it at 106 inches does help. <laughs> Is it necessary to rest so often? They've got a nice, you know, tension. And another cave. <sighs> kind of boring. <laughs> Thank God for this ambient lighting. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a concession, right? It, they should have brought their own lanterns or something. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> it's ironic, isn't it? I love it when he calls her a dummy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? That the way he, the the name oozes out of his mouth. Ugh, yeah.
good. I love this Cardassian mat, and it bothers me because I wish we could see more of that. Yeah. You know? Like, still, Cardassia is like three rooms in a basement and this room right here. Yeah. And that's a shame. I mean, I remember an earlier season episode with the Cardassian home. Uh, oh, yeah. When um, Kira was turning yeah, into yeah, Cardassian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, something like that. Like, that should be the set. You know? It's like, draw the curtains or something, but have it be in a home with furnishings, with just more visual interest. Do you agree? Raw, 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 raw. So, I like how the founder has absolutely no fucks to give about Broca. At it's all. Like, it's like she doesn't even want to look at him, and him talking is like taking air from her room. <laughs> Very well acted by Salome Jones. Yeah, and Broca. He's he's doing the there's there's all those little things you do to like you 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 make your your you make yourself look like you're being hit or whatever, and he's he's doing all that well. Like one of my big problems with the way that the founder and the Cardassians and all this stuff is portrayed is they don't seem like a big empire. And I don't mean Cardassia, I mean the Dominion, mm -hmm. right? In previous seasons, they had done a better job of making the Dominion seem huge. Like we occasionally saw Dominion worlds and species. We saw more ships. We saw more like power structure. I don't know. Well, I th obviously they're cut off from there. Yeah, I know they're cut off. I, I get that. But it's like, what's happening on Beta Z right now? I don't know. Like, show us some of these occupied yeah, planets. Yeah. Show concentration camps. Show something. Like, so Kevin, you mentioned something uh, in the last, last review about how they didn't go much into the nuts and bolts of how this, you know, revolt is being run. Run or organized, yeah. Coordinated. Like, and, and I think the vocabulary would have been there, like, even five years later. Like, even in early Friendster days, yeah. I think the writers would have had a better grasp on that the idea that this revolution could propagate by social media as opposed to, you know, traditional military communications lines. Well, I mean, I think... The way Cardassia has been portrayed, you know, they they had this extremely Byzantine justice system. Yeah. Like, I, I just think there's a lot of story opportunities to show us a totalitarian yeah. state. Yeah. And the way it is to be a regular person in that state. Yeah. And the kinds of things that people do 
to scrape something for themselves, to hide things from the authorities. Yeah. The, the black markets, the gray markets. And so, like, all that stuff for anyone like me, you know, who grew up during the, the waning days of the Soviet Union, yeah. you know, or Cuba or North Korea, you know, like, that's interesting stuff. So they nuked two million people. Glory. Nice camera work. Yeah, the close-up is very... <laughs> it's like someone was reading their 1984. Having him be the, the spokesperson is wonderful. Yeah. Because it's more Jeffrey Cohen. Right. But also because it gives him a different shade. Yeah. Instead of being obsequious, he's... You Menace, know, yeah. Yeah. I like the way um, Damar the most, Garrick about the same, and Kira the least. There's like the acknowledgement of their, if not direct responsibility, they are indirectly responsible for that, you know, genocide. Um, and that, and I, I like the way they all, they, they all had an expression on their face that showed them how they processed that information. Kira obviously is the most experienced with those kinds of horrifying trade-offs, so she she just seemed to swallow it and keep going, whereas, like, Damar and Garrick were more, and also understandable because it was Cardassi, but, like, more viscerally horrified, and I like the little detail work there. Yeah, you know, we, we talk about those sorts of uh, ethical quandaries, you know, in ethics class, you know, like, if uh, the Nazis line up a dozen people and tell you to choose one of them to be shot, and if you don't choose one, all of them will be shot. You know, like, yeah. What what's the right choice for you in that situation? You know, is it wrong to condemn one person to death? You know, well, no. I mean, you're not doing the wrong thing. You know, the locus of responsibility is not on you. So, I think someone like Kira, like you say, has enough experience to just say, you know, like these things have to happen. You know, it sucks. Yeah. And the evil ones are them. Right. We, we are not responsible for the evil acts of, of others, of right? People. But you also understand the emotional, like, like an act I took and encouraged had this it was consequence. Approximate cause. Right. So some very nice uh, CGI. On the yeah, yeah, and they're clearly pulling. I, I recall specifically... This shot's really nice because yeah. it shows, like, three-dimensional yeah. uh, choreography. Um, I also like, at some point, toward the I think toward the end of this battle, they are literally pulling out, like, the destruction of the Klingon ships from the original invasion of Tintaka, the destruction of the Bird of Prey that they used in Star Trek VI and Generations. Like, they were clearly just throwing everything in to try to make the battle feel as big as possible, which even as though as a diehard fan, I totally recognize where... Each and every frame came from. I appreciate the attempt to make it big. One of the things I like about that mat so much is that they give it different uh, cloud cover for different yeah. times of day, and then the, the color filters over through the, the buildings. It, it's really convincing. Yeah. 
Side note, this show is too dark to knit to. (laughs) Poor Mila. So, personally, like, I like Casey Biggs a lot. I don't feel like, oh, yeah, poor Mila. I don't feel like this arc has given Damar enough. Yeah, it's... it's Enough it, really cool stuff to make him feel, feel like, like a great the, leader. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, he's, he had one speech in front of, like, five, five guys. Five yeah. This is a great shot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very nice. R- really nice movement of the ships, like the, the listing and the terrain. Right. And do you notice how you can show, like, 18 ships at once from far enough away that you can tell what each of them are doing? And if asked to recite a basic course of action for the story, you'd be able to do so because everything was well lit up and not so tightly closed up that you couldn't tell what anything was happening? Yes. I did notice that. Yeah. Yeah, one day I'll be over it. That day is not today. Um, (laughs) Well, hey, that's a good thing the doctor is on On the bridge. bridge, All those fireworks hidden in the consoles are dangerous. All right, so Miles has dropped the bomb. Professor of engineering. Does he get a commission out of it? I should hope so. Yeah. See, but then he says, teach you officers. You know, I almost kind of feel like Colmini has checked out a tiny bit the past few episodes. Like, his delivery of the Technobabble stuff has seemed a little, like, slurry and slow. Like, he just, he's like, God, I can't wait to be over over this. And he's not memorizing the patois, you know, at the same level. I will say, and we, we, we've talked about this before, Start, DS9 is not a story driven by its characters. It is a story driven by its politics and its events. Um so, you know, even, like, we were talking about how we're sad that Quark didn't get a lot to do, but in terms of, like, actual character dynamics, not a lot of the characters have gotten a lot to do. Yeah, that's true. I mean, interestingly, the characters that have gotten the most stuff have been, uh, you know, Dukat, yeah. Kai Wen, you know, uh, Wei Yoon, yeah. Garrick, right? Yeah. These are all the, the side characters, yeah. you know? Which, you know, th- maybe this is something we can talk about later, but personally, I feel like a lot of the character stories aren't terribly interesting. And maybe the writers kind of acknowledge that, and they just created better yeah, characters. I, I kind of wish, it almost feels like, like, you wish they could just, like, go, like, they could get, like, a mulligan for the first two seasons. Like, take what they learned and really drill down, like... With a, with a, you know, in a different era, like if it were now, at the end of two seasons, they could have rebooted, they could have been on another network, they could have been on Netflix, and 
one day Star Trek Discovery is going to happen, and I really want it to go to Netflix instead of CBS. It's on Netflix, just not in America. I know. That's what's the most Fuck galling. you, Kevin. It's the most galling. Like, I have supported Star Trek through some lean years. I am not a fair-weather friend. They could just, you know, acknowledge that. Throw us a bone? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if the damn show ever gets made. Yeah, we'll see. Nice to see a galaxy. Oh, the shit. texture is so good. I also like that when they show the galaxy class starships, they're usually not moving, which makes sense given their relative size. Like that's that's going to be a capital ship that hangs back and unleashes a torrent of hellfire, not flitting about like it's a smaller ship. Yeah. So Chief O'Brien takes Cisco's orders, but not Dr. Bashir's orders. I guess that's what you get for fraternizing with <laughs> subordinates. And you know, it's it's interesting, quite interesting, that basically None of the action whatsoever takes place on DS9. Deep Space Nine, yeah. which is <laughs> ostensibly the name and central locus of the show. And so previous finales in which, you know, like DS9 was under attack. or D To me, you know, tell me if you disagree with me, mm. but to me, the prime stretch of DS9 was the multi-part story where DS9 was occupied. Yeah. To me, that was the best string of stories. Oh, yeah, yeah. Character where, work, yeah. Like, th this one has had highlights that were nearly as high, but it's also meandered. A little bit, yeah. And it's all, it, it's kind of like there's too many uh, moving parts. My favorite moment, uh, the, <laughs> the look Jeffrey Combs achieves when his face falls. So good. So good. It's almost like he's sad. <laughs> Here's your Hitler in the bunker moment. <laughs> exactly. I don't think so. Yeah, you know, statements like that, I believe in the Dominion. Why? Yeah. What have they done for Cardassia? Anything good? Yeah. She's like the Mad King. Yeah. <laughs> I was drawing other parallels, but okay. Like, like what? Oh, like. Well, the hair don't, is. Don't want to spoil it for anybody. Yeah, the hair is the same. <laughs> Mad Queen. You know, I really would have liked to if 
they had taken this opportunity to do like a an end of World War II sort of thing, where former allies are now racing for the capital. You know, the way that the Americans and the Soviets right, were right. racing like for if, Berlin. Like if Martok were... I mean, Martok's not the guy to do it. I think it would feel almost like character That'd assassination. Yeah, but he's dead. He's dead. Um, but do you but know no, what I'm no, saying? No, like, to- that's such an interesting... Totally. Like, they're, 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 like, suddenly the Klingon fleet is rushing to get direct control over outlying Cardassian yeah, colonies. Yeah, just to take over Cardassian. I mean, which would make complete sense. Right. Even for Martok. You know, he's a, he's a patriot. Yeah. I think it would have worked better with the Rom, like the Romulans and the Klingons. You, it would have felt, eh, no, the Federation, the Federation might've done it in a much more subtle manner, but yeah, like watching them all claw for space, like even cause Sloan even said it in the, uh, inter Arnhem Latin, Latin, blah, blah, Latin episode where Bashir goes, you know, we're still fighting this war and you're already planning the next one, which yes, doctor, that's how nation states behave. Yeah. Um, like there's, there's optimism and there's decency and then there's naivete. <laughs> See, now at least this cave set has some interesting. I mean, not this part, yeah, but yeah. the map painting has some interesting dimension to it uh, instead of just sort of a flat. Yeah. Okay, so we're about forty minutes in. We're almost to where one episode would be done, and yeah. so the story is pretty clearly created to be split. Oh yeah. On rebroadcast because. You know, Cardassian War, over. Now it's time for, I mean, roughly over. It's not not quite, but it's close. <laughs> the cleanup. <laughs> and here we get some gobbledygook. I kind of wish they had just dispensed with the Bajoran language completely and just said stuff. In or done like the Hunt for Red October shtick of like the first few words in Bajoran and then you translate you transition so you understand she is speaking Bajoran but we see Yeah, you cut cut the camera yeah. to a different angle. So I mean I I like I kinda wish this story had happened sooner. Yeah. Because they had all that stuff with Ducat being the leader of this Pares cult. Right. And they had, you know, Jake being taken over, you know, and, and all that stuff. And and I was relatively interested. Now it almost kind of feels like it's being tacked on. Yeah. Like maybe this should have been last season's finale. Yeah. The, the Pare stuff. Yeah. It would have been a better exit for Gen Z, let me tell you. Yes. Anything would have been. <laughs> I thought when I was watching this the first time and several times mm-hmm. after the first time that somehow Garrick would become, you know, like the leader of Cardassia. Yeah. And I think it sucks that they didn't give us that. Like, it, they don't preclude it. Yeah, but they don't lock it down. I mean, it's such a perfect capstone for his character. Yeah. You know, being down and out, being in exile, but also, you know, being someone who has the ability to manipulate yeah you know the intelligence levers like that <sighs> i'm so happy that they're just gonna make out now <laughs> <laughs> i'm serious like i don't like it when they fight i like it when they're all like smoochy and weird <laughs> it's like it is so ridiculous yeah like, 
it this is entertaining. It's like watching some like <laughs> Commedia del Arte piece where it's like it's so stylized, but I can't look away. No, it would be like Hannah Arendt, you know, tongue kissing Adolf Hitler or something, you know. <laughs> like I want to see that. No, no, we. I, I, I agree. You are such a Hyde Parker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, she's delivering it like she means it. Yeah. You know? So even if it's the gibberish language. Who wrote the Star Trek languages? Mark Orkand wrote Klingon. I believe the other languages are just phonetic gobbledygook. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's no Bajoran dictionary you can purchase. Is it Okrand or Orkand? Orkand? I think it's Okrand. Anyway. Well, the real question is, is there an apostrophe after the K? Yeah. Well, maybe he changed it. <laughs> Only 45? Can you fit 45 torpedoes on that ship? <laughs> I mean, torpedoes are big. Yeah. They're like the size of a person. They're, they're a coffin, yeah. And he's saying they're only down to 45, which means presumably they've got like 150. Well, to, to be with. fair, there's only like six bedrooms and no bathrooms on this ship. So. I guess. <laughs> it's all torpedoes. Well, I mean, people should be sleeping on torpedoes. Seriously. <laughs> like in actual German U-boats, you know? Like they slept on top of torpedoes. Yeah, I guess, I guess if something went wrong, it didn't matter where you were. Yeah. That's a really good establishing shot. Like, uh, the shipyard uh, constructs, the different Dominion ships. Like, it, it, that's a well-achieved shot. And so another World War II parallel I would have liked to have seen is the notion that a direct invasion of this heavily fortified place would be at the cost of millions of lives. Yeah. And I, I assume you can see where I'm going here. Mm. Like maybe there's some weapon of mass destruction that could end it. Right. You know, but then you have the question of it's know, morality. Yeah. Yeah. You know, collateral damage. Like just setting off another like solar flare dealing. What's the ethics of that in this context? Yeah. Well, whatever the mechanism is. Yeah. And you could create the tension between the heroes on the ground and the heroes in space. Yeah. yeah. It's like, can you get the heroes on the ground out of there? in time not to be so, destroyed right. but you know like right. there's just yeah there's so much stuff they could have done i've never been a big fan of stage laughter i know i kind of bug this one as like the weird like yeah it's so intense they're tense yeah like it's it's hysteria it's not humor and i thought they portrayed that well My only question about neutronium is that if it's impervious to any type of, you know, heat or force, how do you build with it? Yeah, how do you manipulate it? Well, really, anything that's that dense would basically, you know, create a gravity well. Right. You know, it's like you'd just be drawn to it. Neutro <laughs> neutronium is basically what black holes are made of. Right. It would, it would like fall through the earth. Like. Yeah. You wouldn't. You couldn't hold it up. It's right. like what quasars and black holes and magnetars and you know all those yeah. sort of ultra dense post supernova you know stars are made out of. So uh, you know, 
It's feature material that's super strong. <laughs> I think they could have gone with titanium. Right. It would be enough. They call it adamantium if they wanted. Wonderful onium. Unobtainium. <laughs> I always find it odd when there's office chairs in Star Trek. <laughs> well, it's funny because we were complaining about the pillows looking too extraordinary. Yeah. The office chairs don't look They're extraordinary enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice that Wayun gets a little something here yeah. at the end. She's been a real bitch to him. She has. Oh, yeah. And... To, to what end is really, it's like, I guess she's just really, you know, stressed out. Yeah. Because she has his complete loyalty. Yeah. You know? I mean, the, the range that Jeffrey Combs <laughs> has. And I love her response if only it were that simple. Yeah. It's like, oh, I totally can't. Like, I if would I would do that. I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even think twice about it. Like, <laughs> Uh, that, that was convenient that they decided to do this outside. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they didn't want to have to like drag the bodies into the corridor. See, there's only like five of them. I know it's like they should literally have ten thousand troops in this place. Yeah. Like even accounting for the genocide detail, like. <laughs> Well, and if it was genocide, shouldn't all those ships in orbit be facing Cardassia and just bombarding it from orbit? Mm -hmm. And so then Damar just dies. Which yeah. which is what made me think that Garrick should be yeah. you know, the new leader, right? And he he has this leadership moment. Yeah. I don't know if shouting your location is really the best <laughs> tactical maneuver. Poor card. Ah, ah, I'm dead. There's only a handful of guards left in the building. We, founder, we only have a handful of extras in our cast. <laughs> and two of them are right here, so we're screwed. <laughs> in case they fail. It just, again, it just every line. I don't think he's delivered a bum line in like five years. No. No. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Brunt, but... It's not his fault, yeah. But he, he does it well. And last episode was the best, you know, it's Brunt, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was his best Brunt performance, I would say. Yeah, so, like, they even have the dialogue here. And here's where Martok should say, let's bombard it from orbit and just kill everybody. Or at least have the Romulan in a three-way conversation to Yeah, the, the Romulans board. should absolutely advocate mass destruction. 
for the greater good. Yeah. You know? Like, how did they get here? What? <laughs> I mean, look, I like that they're being confronted. Yeah. And I like that, you know, Wayun sort of gets the, the dialogue. I would be no such thing. <laughs> oh, Andrew Robinson's eyes were so scary right then. <laughs> well, and I wish you hadn't done that. <laughs> oh. Last week, I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> Nor the brain. Will the brain really fight to the last man? When it's over. Now, to me, this doesn't seem in character. Hmm. Like, you think she's more pragmatic than that. Yes. And I think all the founders are more pragmatic. So, if they're going to have her go there... Make it clear that, she, that like... She's out of right, right mind. Hmm. Because of her thickness. Yeah. Because to me, the Dominion would just cut their losses and be like, yeah, this ain't working. You know, screw it. We'll try again in 500 years. Yeah. They, they, they're they long game players. They, yeah. They're not spite players. Like, I think there's just... There are so many interesting World War II parallels. Yeah. And they have the signing ceremony, yeah, which yeah. is kind of like the they, surrender of the And Japanese. they quote, yeah. I think, Churchill. Why doesn't Odo just go down there and impersonate her and order everybody to stand down? <laughs> that was the question I always wanted someone to ask. How do we know Odo isn't a changeling? You mean a founder? Well, that's what I'm saying, like, because the only tests for changelings are, are you or are you not a changeling, not which changeling are you? Yeah, and they really should have gone there. Well, they did kind they almost tried it with Adversary when the, was it Kaczynski? Uh, the one who was impersonating the ambassador. Like, it's the two Odos in there talking to O'Brien in engineering. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, it's like watching again. I, like it's like watching some Shakespearean play. Like like she she could really be one of the witches from Macbeth right now. <laughs> well, and you know, like if he somehow pulled through, that they'd make out again. <laughs> like they still love each other. No, you're not wrong. <laughs> Of 
pretty good death scene. Yeah. Now she should, like, kick him over the side. Yeah. I, you know, they've done with Kai Wen what I thought they could never do. Mm. And that's make a Bajoran with no ties to the Federation at all interesting. Yeah. That's also a very nice man. Yeah, they did a good job. Uh, they they certainly had to, like, rev, just do a new painting. Like, that just looked, like, like, based off the old one. They did a really good job. Yeah, had they stayed friends, oh, this would be better. <laughs> yeah. Because there are friends, I, like, like if you were trapped on Cardassia, I'd be super eager to make sure you were safe, and we'd have, like, a moment of, like, I'm, I'm glad you're okay, and there'd be, like, a, you know, heteronormative arm punching to indicate our mutual respect for each other. Well, it's just, <laughs> you know, because they've gone there, yeah. Because... You wouldn't even hug. <laughs> oh, I'm happy to hug. Um... It might be like a man hug. Right, the, <laughs> with the three pats, yeah. But yeah, just, uh, they're, I don't buy them in a romance. Well, and because they've gone there, now it's like, you expect there to be something, but it's still weird if it happens. And then, you know, if you know where this episode is going, it's just, look, the episode is going where it had to go for these two characters who had nothing in common, right. no chemistry, right. and no reason to be together. They should break the fuck up, you know? Yeah. It's like, they should have already broken up. Right. You know, they'll just break up after this plot point. Right. You know? I mean, have it... Like, I, I think they should have gone the insanity route, because then this scene makes more sense. Yeah. You know? Like, I like that her sort of taking on Odo's perspective gives her that kind of... Uh, you know, willingness yeah. to, to compromise or something, which she didn't have before. But they've already done that. Right. It's like, if Odo was going to change them, he should have changed them prior to this. Yeah. Point. So, I, I don't know. Derek was really quick on the trigger with Wayun. Yeah. Apparently not so much. So, like, he has the cure inside him. He's the cure now. Like, uh, I'm just trying to figure yeah, out. Yeah, it's a little nebulous. Figuring out the epidemiology here. Like, how is he just not reinfected? Is he vaccinated because of the cure? And so, like, why is she doing this? Is it because her thinking has changed? Is it because she's appreciative? Yeah. Is it because she is seeing things more clearly now? Like she's not as or, or even if disorganized were, anymore? Right, even if it were something as blunt as, if you do this, I will go save our people, and if you don't, I will let them die. Yeah. So, yeah, for how long? 
Yeah, this bit always, it just felt like because it's the end of the episode, they wanted to shuffle people off. And like, I did feel like they were also trying, like, because there was, I can't believe there was ever any even half serious discussion of a movie. So it felt like they had to like resolve, resolve these characters rather than just letting them continue. They kind of over resolved everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and then nobody saw each other ever again. I, I like that Martok is enjoying it. Yeah. And they're just like, dude. Yeah, this is a charnel house. Like, <laughs> Poetic justice. Oh, now Cisco, that's good. Oh, yeah, yeah and a, and now <laughs> Admiral Ross. Yeah, it's a waste of wine. Well, it's supposed to be the really good stuff. Oh too, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, didn't Cisco say earlier this episode, "I'll drink blood wine with you yeah. on Cardassia Prime." Yes, <laughs> so, I assumed he thought the war would be more nice. It'd be I a guess. cleaner victory, <laughs> uh, not with eight hundred million dead. Okay, random piece of trivia. Uh, and I have the tape to prove it. When this aired on D Space Nine, this scene with Bashir and Garrick was not in it. And not like, it wasn't like a repeat. It was just not in it what was aired in the, at least the Chicago market. Hmm. I did not see this scene until I got it on DVD. Yeah, this speech feels like it's leading to Garrick yeah. taking over. Yeah. Yes. Uh, in the books, he does. And he's they, the enlightened they, leader yeah. now. Like, he's gone through it. He's been away. He can see Cardassia with fresh eyes, but he also can control their, you know, massive intelligence apparatus, right? Yep. I mean, he's an Abrantain's son. I, I like that he's being snotty to, to yeah. Bashir again. That's probably a bit geographic. It's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> Given what we've seen of Cardassian <laughs> literature. Yeah, see, like, this speech, if it could happen in front of other Cardassians, and then they'd, like, make him leader by acclamation or something. Yeah. I, I don't know, something. This whole scene was missing? Or at least a chunk of it. Um, the 800 million dead part? Yeah, I, I'm going to go, you know, I'm, I'll be down for my, uh, my mom's birthday's coming up, I'll be down at the house, I'll have to go find the VHS tapes and a working VCR. <laughs> and a TV that can accept its signal. <laughs> you know, my new TV doesn't even have a coax cable hookup. No coax? Yeah. Huh. So you'll have to get a box or something. Yeah, I found an adapter online. Interesting. Yeah, so I like this scene for its historical resonance. Yeah. They're signing on paper. <laughs> yeah. They'll scan it. Um, I like the... I, they found another guy that kind of looks like Iggy Pop there uh, to be the not Wayun Vorta. I would 
notorious generals with the following words. Presumably Eisenhower. Oh, yeah. <laughs> McCarthy would never say anything this uh, no. <laughs> pacifist. <laughs> Demodar is still pumping drugs into his system. Well, the Breen really stuck it out. I feel like they should have cut and run. Yeah. I I can't see it. I can't see the founder submitting herself to Alpha Quadrant Justice. Yeah. Because... Why would she view herself as in the wrong, number one? Yeah. And why would she think that a being like her should ever be, you know? Yeah. At the at the will of solids, you know. That flashing light thing has bothered me for seven years. Yeah. Every single episode I've seen it in, it's just it. It. I would never go into that establishment. Right. Like that sign is so garish and stupid that there can be nothing good in there. Yeah, like, making Worf the ambassador to Kronos was just like, oh, well, and then there's Worf. You gotta do something with him. And I understand why they wouldn't, but you have to mention the fact he has his first dead ex-wife's job now. Yeah. Well, she she was a special emissary. Yeah, well, blah 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 Um, it's still weird. <laughs> were they actually married? Well, they... They were they, mated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We are mated. And I know. I was there. <laughs> oh, Susie Blackson. I am not going to become your wife. And this meant nothing. <sighs> that would have been better if they hadn't had a fling. Yeah. Like... They've got Nana Visitor being, like, sad and dour, but now she wants to go along. This is a really good ensemble for her, by the way. Yeah. Good hair, good outfit. Uh, anyway, it just, like, the way her face looks is the way my faces look for their whole fucking romance. You know? Like, and I feel like this could have the emotional resonance if they were still just friends. Like that, this is a relationship. Yeah, it'd be better if it were unrequited love, and he's leaving. You know, or without, or even on her side. Like they're two. This is the only other person on the station to whom she is this close, who directly shared the experience, experience of the occupation. Yeah. It is the person she trusted before she trusted the Federation. She she would still feel the loss of that relationship keenly, even if they were just friends. Like I've said before, I think it would have been a much more interesting story had they had even if they wanted to try having them date, have Odo realize he like, why should Odo form romantic attachments as humanoids do? There's just no reason for that. Yeah, like they're incompatible or something. Right. Should have been unrequited to that moment. And then she realized she wanted to be with him. And he was like, it's too late, bitch. <laughs> I'm on my way to the game. Yeah, sure. That would have been better. I mean, what was peak Odo? You know the episode I'm thinking of. The absolute best Odo story was Future Odo, right? 
with curly hair. Oh yeah. Was it not Children of Time? The other one. Uh, no, that's Children of Time. Is that what that is? Okay. Yeah. Um, and why was that the best Odo? Because he never got her, and he just had to live with that for like three hundred years. Yeah. You know. It's much more compelling if they don't. Yeah. You know, the will they won't they question. No, it, they they shouldn't. They won't. That's that happens in life. Also, I'm gonna say the age difference in the actors was a big part of my squick factor. Like, yeah. Like, it's just weird. It, like I I enjoyed the stories where. He was upset because she was with someone else. Yeah. You know, like that happens. Yeah. Odo's a weirdo, you know? And how many things has he done now that she should be like, uh uh-uh, uh, you're yeah. not getting a piece of this any you know, ever again, right? He killed that whole group of humans, you know, or he sentenced them to non existence, you know, he Collaborated with the founder. Collaborated yeah. with the founder when DS nine was I've taken got over. To have a camera in that damn closet. Uh... See if um this is where the episode should have ended. If you were gonna if you were gonna do this, this is where it's gotta end. Like when you sing the way you look tonight. Yeah, don't have story beats after this. That's that's it. That's <laughs> that's the end of the night. Like like that's the song you play at the wedding when it's just like everyone else, like one last couple, like bride's parents having one last dance before everything stops before every all gets shut down. That is that end. Done. I I've always found the scene gratuitous, especially when Avery Brooks gets on stage and starts that, singing. No one's defending that. Ugh. <laughs> uh, so a piece of trivia that I assume uh, most Star Trek fans know by this point, but uh, most of the creative and production staff is uh, filling the rest of the audience. Uh, uh, sharp eyes will pick out Iris Stephen Bear and. Uh, Ron Moore, etc. In the fifties, uh, oh, and there, there he is. I mean, yeah, that, that's Iris Stephen Bear right there with without his, a purple goatee. Yeah, <laughs> but with his uh, glasses. round glasses. Yeah. Which is cute. Yeah, I mean that's no. that's unabashed. If you're going to have human extras in regular clothes. Absolutely. Yeah, you even have them like paying specific attention. Like it's just this is the end of the story, people. You fade to credits and you... Yeah. I also feel like they were... This is a criticism I will reserve more sharply for Voyager's finale when I felt like they were riffing on all good things a little too hard. But here it just feels like they're trying to... Like, a moment that all good things achieved with 30 seconds around a poker table, they've spent this song trying to do. Yeah, this is like... It's going on for minute after minute. and And also... Reaction shots are the lamest shots, aren't they? I mean, like, that's not dramatic. It's not, It's like, oh, the character is reacting a certain way. Yeah. It's like, ugh. So I don't hate the fact that Vic Fontaine is singing. I hate the fact that they're putting so much weight on this thing. Yeah. You know? Because poker, you could view poker as a similar device, yeah. right? But poker doesn't also, like talk to the characters and take a bunch of screen time, yeah. you know? 
feel like when they shot this, they were like, all right, we'll sing the whole song, but then, you know, we'll cut in and out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, presumably this is a director kind of choice, right? You know, the the director chooses the angles and, you know, and now we're back in the fire caves. (laughs) Right. Oh, right. This plot. Like... (laughs) See, and now she's speaking English. Oh, good. Ducat wasn't dead after him. Or at least it's his reanimated corpse with red contacts. <laughs> and now he's Cardassian again. I bet you Marco Limo had to be like, seriously? Like, I was done. (laughs) All I had was a nose accordion. I don't know. I mean, he probably... He's got to be used to it. Yeah. It helps him get into character. The sight of someone ripping an earring out of their own ear is just (laughs) always going to be upsetting. (laughs) Also, he he, should have been singing while they were dancing. (laughs) Because then it would have just been the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having the characters react to each other is much better than having them react to, to the song, yeah. Mugging James Darren. So I guess Cisco singing was a different episode. Was... Oh, yeah, that, that was the end of... Um, uh... Oh, when he hated the program because of the racism. Right. Oh, bada bing, bada bang. But then also knew the entire song. <laughs> Do you still think they might make out? <laughs> I can't really picture the Pirates running roughshod over the entire Alpha Quadrant. If the Dominion couldn't do it. Right. It, it also It's also kind of like... You, you tried with Keiko, and we easily defeated you. I mean... Yeah. So, like, I'm not opposed to... Yeah. Well, just in time. <laughs> now, why is he listening? Just shoot his ass. You're right. Bit of a green screen effect there. The, the lighting's as good as it's going to be. Like, I like that it's still Dukat. Yeah. That it's not just a demon. Right, right. Like, it's it's a mixture of the two. Because um, it's much better when Dukat enjoys it. Right. Than when a Pyrrhite who we don't care about right. enjoys it. <laughs> Kneel before Dukat. They really should have thrown in the Zod reference there. <laughs> we haven't seen some grade A Avery Brooks overacting in a long time. <laughs> so we're getting quiet because these are interesting scenes. Yeah. 
they raise some unanswered questions, which we'll discuss later, but they, for themselves, in the moment, certainly hold my attention. Well, making Ducat the receptacle of this, you know, force is the best move. Yes. Because they have history. We like to hate Ducat. Yeah. You know... Oh, too much, Avery. Too much. It is not linear. What? The, the PA on a stepladder who had to, like, take the book out of her hands off screen did a great job. <laughs> That reminds me of uh, the death in The Most Toys from the Veron T. Disruptor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I kind of wish Wynn had stuck around a little longer because I, I, I wanted some a little sharper res- reveal for why she suddenly switched sides. Was it like, did she ever care about the pirates? Was it just the power they offered her? And once it was clear they were going to give it to Ducat, she bails. Yeah. I, if they were going to redeem her, they should have made that a full-body right. thing. Oh, boy. It, this annoys them. First of all, we're in the white space, and I hate looking at the white space. Um, it makes me think I'm having an ocular migraine. Um, it n- not yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Well, this is literally a deus ex machina. Right. You know, like, instead of actually resolving the story... It's now just the gods telling us that it's resolved. resolved. Right. It's the same thing like with the defeat, like taking out the Dominion fleet in the wormhole. Yeah. None of this, or like telling him he shouldn't get married. Like it's all just, it, none of it felt organic or organized well. There's got to be a way for him to sacrifice himself that we can watch. <laughs> right. Know? Like not just be told about. Right. Also, they preordained his birth so he could like shove a guy off a cliff. Why not preordain an earthquake? <laughs> Yeah, and then it's just like, uh, I don't know. I feel I feel very <laughs> unsatisfied by this, yeah. this resolution. Like I feel like they should turn him up. Okay, here would be the the ending to this episode. That would satisfy him. Mm-hmm. Like, they do all this stuff. Yeah. They have not be separated. Maybe even for months. Maybe they show her settling, yeah. you know, like, in the Kendra province or whatever. Yeah. Right? This wouldn't be what I would do. No. <laughs> you know, and then... Penny Johnson's a great actress. She's a warm and uh, loving presence in the show. But no one can act in this. Anyway, she <laughs> settles in the Kendra province. She gives birth to their kid. Maybe she names him Ben. You know, right. whatever. Right? And then they're walking along the beach, okay? Yeah. And you see a little dot in the distance, in the sand, washed up on shore. And they, they walk to the dot, and then it starts to become more clear what it is. And then she runs, and little Ben is like, Mommy, Mommy? And it's Cisco, washed up on the beach, you know, reappeared, right? That should be, the, you know, like, it's a beautiful image, and I'm, I'm borrowing from a video game called Eco. You're also borrowing from uh, How Ben Met Jennifer. Okay, yeah. 
well, that's good too. Um, <laughs> but it also, like, they're making this the resolution that he sacrifices himself and that maybe he'll come back. But you know there's going to be no more Deep Space Nine. Right. So you got to either just, like, kill him or bring him back. Right. You know, it's, do one completely. Um, and what I read was apparently Avery Brooks had to lobby to get this scene because he uh, didn't like the image of depicting of TV depicting a black father essentially abandoning his children. Um, and it bothers me the writers didn't think to give this relationship an emotional cap. They still have a great deal for me to do. I have much to learn. Things only the prophets can teach me. That's so uninteresting. Yeah. You know, like... Have it be, I have to go back in time and arrange all of those things right. in my life. Right. You know, to make it happen or something. Any right? kind of task. Yeah. Besides, I have so much to learn that I can't tell you or the audience about. <laughs> and I'll be waiting. Okay, great. And then, boom, flash forward to the future. Right? Yeah. A year later. Two years later. Whatever. Ten years later, and everyone in her life is like, move on. He's not coming back. Or they could have Tony Todd in The Visitor. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. No, <laughs> that that might be too far. <laughs> yeah, it's a little too far. Cassidy would be dead. <laughs> but they could have little Ben. I don't know. There's those wacky Rubbermaid containers. <laughs> what, what possible utility could that shape serve? <laughs> like, maybe the side. It's a handle. But all the stuff, uh, I don't know. And what kind of trapezoidal pentagonal <laughs> carrying case? Like, what's he got in there? Uh, that is the crappiest industrial carpet I have ever seen. Oh, the flashbacks. I was oh. not a fan of these at the time, and I'm not a fan of them now. Well, and to the, to the song, oh, really? And, and Storyteller? That's your flashback bit? <laughs> yeah. Well, but then they they have the music cue, and it's like, didn't we just watch a scene where we were listen to this song? Yeah. Like, why didn't they just put the if they're gonna do flashbacks, put it during the song, right? Yeah. Oh, and this is the most egregious one. Hmm, Worf's gonna reflect. <laughs> I'm gonna think back to all those other episodes in my. It's almost like a clip show, right? Yeah. Like. Yeah, he's going to remember the time he mistakenly had a one-night stand with his reanimated dead wife, but not... Oh, come on. I mean, we can't... There are rights issues and... Yeah, like, and like they should have and... shelled out the fucking money or abandoned the idea. Yeah. Well, or just, like, hired another actress to play her back or yeah. something. <laughs> just show a new scene. Yeah. Or, or with a veil. Or, hell, get get hire Terry Farrell for five seconds or something. See, like, all of these scenes would work oh. if they were still oh, friends. That's a hideous <laughs> outfit. Um, not the romance stuff. But, like, I, I completely buy their rapport as friends who have experienced a decades-long traumatic experience together, and they are bonded in a certain way. Well, but now here also, the thing is, they're giving us this... You're showing us the golden shower scene? Uh, you know, <laughs> but they're, they're showing us this smarmy, you know, like, flashback thing... But there's still more story after this, you <laughs> yeah. know? It's like, 
it's like they had a whiteboard full of ideas. And they're just like, well, let's use all of them because we need to fill space or space. I mean, the baseball episode. No one's favorite memory is the baseball episode. <laughs> yeah. Also, these memories are really heavy on season seven, which has not been the best season. force them to make this a double episode because whose memory is this no this is this is now oh this is now again it's just got the music playing yeah but we're gonna go to jake memories right we're gonna yeah. see teeny jake <laughs> i'm sad that the, i'm sad that uh uh, Jake and Cisco didn't get a scene together because for all the faults of the character or whatever, they always did have a very genuine like father son. Yeah, I've always uh, I've always liked Cisco and Jake. Yeah, like I think it would have been nice for them to have a scene together. Extreme, that remains an extremely detailed model. Is he really gonna have a straw roof? Yeah, and now back to the story. Yeah. <laughs> Why was that interlude there? I don't know. <laughs> Just to make me, like, feel stuff, I guess. All good things this ain't. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad we're getting this. No, yeah, this scene works. <laughs> because Cork and Odo has been a great yeah, you know, sort, sort of linchpin of, of yeah. comedy and you know, tension yeah. and interesting character development. It seems like Quark's really decked out. Yeah. I like Rene Abergenois' facial expression here <laughs> and his delivery. No. You know, this is written well. Right. So it's like maybe some other writer did the flashback yeah. scene. Yeah. And some other writer did like Cisco's overacting. And... Huh. Like that's the perfect farewell for Odo. written all over his back. <laughs> so it's, it's just like they focused on the not as good actors and the not as good situations and because there should be more Quark in this episode. Yeah, certainly. Quark was the best character of the show. Agreed. You know? Yeah. And so to give him three-ish minutes is yeah. just, it's criminal. This is not a very good looking digital set. Yeah. And also not a very good looking practical set. <laughs> Does not look like rock. Ew. Looks like foam painted like something. The sky is very reminiscent of early TNG, actually. Yeah. That sort of flat, you know, like color gel sort of look. It doesn't matter to me. Like, yeah. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. I couldn't help but think of uh, this uh, 
uh, when I saw Interstellar and they were on that water planet. Mm-hmm. Boy, that looked amazing. If you haven't seen Interstellar, folks, you should see Interstellar. Very, very good science fiction. Very well produced. Good acting. Great production values. It's, And you'll think about it for days after you watch it. And you'll probably want to watch it twice. <laughs> This is a nice music cue. I think if I took a picture of Kira, it's my hairdresser, she'd be too distracted by the nose. Well, you also don't want the braid, I assume. Yeah, probably not the braid. It's a very good cut for her face. They finally got it right. <laughs> I liked it. I, I didn't like her first two seasons, obviously, the like mullet or whatever, but I liked a few in her intermediate ones. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. He's melting. He's melting. Uh, there's a bit in the, the DVD extras where it's like the actual physical shot of the two actors on the green screen set of like Rene Aubergeois in a tux, like squatting lower and lower down and laying <laughs> on the floor. And it's just ridiculous to look at. And so he cures them. Well, and... if it takes him 10 seconds to cure the planet, why can't he just go back with her? Good question. Yeah. Now there's a promotion that feels earned. Yeah. He lost a leg, he piloted a ship, he did a bunch of stuff, yeah. right? And it's also not to... Ca okay, I'm not going to go. I was going to say they didn't promote him to captain. Yeah. So, like, none of this episode has taken place on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. And now I, I feel like this is supposed to be the shot where we, like, say goodbye to but the right. station, but who cares? I gotta say, um, it, it, watching this now, you know, 18 years later? God, 18 years. 18 years later. Um, it is being driven home from, like... We, we, like we said before, the characters were not the strongest point of the show, and that in itself is not a fatal flaw. I mean, you can derive drama from, I mean, a, the kind of storytelling that focuses on grand events and the sweep of history is necessarily going to focus less on character work. Um, but since the last half, basically, of the finale was attempting to resolve all these character storylines, the creakiness of those characters kind of <laughs> necessarily comes to the forefront. Yeah. Like, Picard looking at lovingly at the crew, especially after we spent two hours watching them be distant from each other, I, because either they had yet to learn to trust each other or that trust had fallen apart, made that moment of affection in uh, Riker's quarters to play poker really feel like something. It was it was it was like both just a lovely moment and a like emotional release for that episode. Oh, I mean, seeing Riker and Worf at odds with each other over Troy's death. I mean, you can't not care about right, that. Right. Like it's so interesting. And yes, it brings up the Worf Troy thing, which I hate, but 
the fact that I can hate it that much <laughs> indicates how much I care about it. Yeah. You know? And it's painful. And they don't overdo it. Yeah. You know, they hint at it. And just the hints are painful. They're like Picard and Crusher not trusting each other, like like yeah. being distant. Like Or Crusher dealing with uh, you know, a a demented Picard. Right. Who she loves and cares about, but also has to coddle and you know Right. And like the ah, all good things is so much better than this episode. Um, it's a tighter story. Yeah. And they're doing different things, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. all good things have, is, is a self-contained unit. Right. They didn't have to send, they didn't have to send everyone off into the sunset. And I think they didn't have to here either. Like, I think you can trust the audience to be like, and life continued in some dimension, plus a few characters, minus a few characters. And that's life because that is in fact life. Yeah. I mean, I've never been, except for high school and college, and I suppose law school, not that I really cared, um, but aside from, like, graduating years of various academic institutions, there's never a point in which every person you know gets a wrap-up, you know? This is a great shot of Jake. It reminds me of The Visitor. Yeah. Um, and it's it's giving us, I mean, this guy's lost his father. Yeah. You know? That's a big deal. Yeah. They don't have him say anything about it, but okay. Uh, it's also a nice pullback shot. Yeah. You know, showing us, like, what the station is like, I guess. Which is nice. um, I would kind of like them to reach, like, if... I always felt like the promenade should not be right there in the center, though. Like, I felt like it should be one of those long rings. Uh, I know that the, the outer ring is like the habitat ring, right? The outermost ring is the docking ring. The next ring is the habitat ring. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to see them tackle that again with today's CGI's. I think they could have done a better job with it. Um. So. Okay. As an episode, there were certainly very interesting bits. You know. Yeah. Like all of the Ducat, Kaiwin stuff was gangbusters. Oh yeah. I enjoyed anything with Wayun in it. Oh yeah. The Cardassian stuff, you know, like trying to get to Wayun and the Founder was meh. You know, it, it was just like a bunch of guys in suits shouting for Cardassia. You know, <laughs> um, there were missed opportunities there. I felt. Um, I don't disagree. The whole back half of the episode, uh, you know, all the character goodbye stuff. We was, had like three sets of goodbyes. We had like three. This endings. was sort of like Return of the King, right? But not quite as good. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, it's, yeah. I mean, literally, it's like they had three different yeah. ideas for an ending. And, to the and episode didn't know which one to do. And just ended up using all three. Um, You're not there yet, but it's better than the Enterprise finale. Yeah, sure. Well, <laughs> this this just has some narrative creakiness. It's not an offense to everything I hold dear. They didn't like set the story on a different ship with completely different <laughs> characters, right? So they didn't set it in Middle Earth and have Aragorn tell the hobbits a story about Deep Space Nine. Well, or yeah, like to be as bad as the Enterprise finale, it would be like they would have to. I don't know, like, have, they would have, have to, this all be a vision in Captain Kirk's head. Right, they would have to go back to Trouble with Tribbles and just have him talk about, who is that handsome, bald lieutenant that day? Like, just, you know, like... <laughs> well, let me tell you. Um, no. 
it does the job yeah. of ending the show, you know, and there are good parts to it. Yeah. The very question good parts. is how good are the parts, you know, how much, like if you count it by a minute, I feel like, I mean, what's the, the minute count? Like 90 minutes worth of show here. I feel like 55, 60 minutes are pretty good and pretty entertaining. And then 20 or 30 are just kind of like, eh. Yeah, that, it, the thing that can, the kind of like representative error in that back half was like no Jadzia in Worf's flashback. It shows that they, like, and we've said this before, like, like, let me finish my first point before I make a second one. It just, it shows that their idea was not fully formed enough to do anything other than just be flashbacks. Yeah. Um, if it was clear, now I understand there was apparently a kerfluffle because when Esri goes into Worf's quarters and picks up the, publicity photo, photo. <laughs> terry farrell's got a little upset I, I understand there are rules about your image and making money off and i appreciate all of them i'm not suggesting terry farrell owes the show free use of her image they should have paid her they should have paid her and if it was cost prohibitive to pay her as as terrible as it sounds you abandon the idea because honestly it wasn't that good to start with yeah if you were going to do flashbacks not that it wouldn't be useful in this context you got to give me something new you got you got to inform you how to add you can't just review i have the dvds i can watch all of those scenes with sound with sound <laughs> like not in sepia tone right uh yeah <laughs> uh, you know actually if, if it's like a 60 30 you know two to one ratio it's kind of representative of the show you know yeah. so it's like yeah, a fair amount of pretty good stuff and then a bunch of dross you know and <laughs> that's kind of what this episode was um so writing-wise, it's really disjointed. There are missed opportunities with the war stuff. You know, actually, what I would say is the flaw is that there are too many balls in the air. Yeah. And none of them get developed as fully as, as they, should. they should. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's counterfactual. I don't know how to spread it out, but it's like, each one of those threads should have its own concluding episode, you know? Yeah. Uh, however that shakes out. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I'd call the writing a three. You know, it's like yeah. there's good and bad. Yeah. It's not horrible. It's more than just one redeeming facet. Right, and it's, yeah, it's not like the bad stuff is, like, criminal. It doesn't damage the show, I guess. It's yeah. just not, it's a missed opportunity. And some, you know, modeling stuff that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, Acting-wise, uh, you know, <laughs> Mark Alimo, Louise Fletcher, Jeffrey Combs, you know, yeah. I mean, the, the big four that we've right. been praising for the past right. season. Right. Uh, you know, like, they're superb. Armin Scheinerman was criminally underused. He nailed the stuff that he, he, he was given, yeah. Um, so there's that. Uh, Avery Brooks was a little over the top for me. Um, they actually didn't give much to, uh, what's Cassidy Yates' actress? Uh, Penny Johnson. Penny Johnson. They almost, like, made, uh, Sir Lofton not talk. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he's not that bad. Like, when, <laughs> when he's actually acting about his, like, feelings for his dad, he's okay. Good, yeah. Um, Cole Meany kind of phoned it in for me. Well, they certainly didn't give him anything to do. I yeah, mean. yeah. Uh, as did Rosalind Chow. <laughs> yeah. Well. 
you know, Ezra and Bashir did nothing for me. Um, so it's really just the guest cast that completely nailed it again, uh, to my mind. Um, Michael Dorn, you know, didn't get much of interest to do. Yeah, you know, I guess in a lot of ways this is like a story episode, not a character episode. Um, but on the strength of the big four, you know, I'd call the acting high three, low four-ish. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. That's where I'm yeah. at. Production values. No, some of that shit was amazing. Well, I mean, the space battle was great. Yeah. Some of the mat work was great. The caves sucked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> caves are boring. Dude. Yeah. Put it in a temple. Temples have windows. Yeah. That, oh, those sets were so interesting when they were in, like, Kaiwin's office and, yeah, various temples. Or, like, the gardens where, you know, Vedic Burrell was, like, doing, like, Japanese rock something. arranging yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. Like, that's great stuff. You know what makes a scene? Light. Yeah. Light <laughs> is what makes photography and camera work possible. Good. You know? I like seeing light. <laughs> Light hitting things, yeah. light reflecting off, off things, things back to yeah. my eyes. Like, yeah. yeah I agree. So I was irritated by the caves. Yeah. Um, and I think there was a lack of extras in Cardassia that really, you know, sort of harmed the uh, feel. Now they're really going to have an extra problem. Because of the genocide. Well, 800 million dead. Yeah, yeah. the genocide, yeah. Well, you'd think that you could then show the remaining, you know, the, the survivors. I will say... Um, Overall, I especially once they got to the we are the, the wholesale extermination of the Cardassian people, I was sufficiently blown away by that that I think it raised the episode almost a full notch in my head. Where it just they had a lot of balls in the air, they were trying for something, and there are places where it didn't work. And in retrospect, I am now much more sharply aware of how long and somewhat unsatisfying emotionally a lot of that ending work was in the balance though. I think that still makes it into a four. There's the, there's an ambition in scope and a competence in execution that I think gets us there. I think the problems that we have with the, with the character resolutions are deeper problems with the way characters were built and developed on the show. And that that's not to be dismissed, but I think in terms of, Raw entertainment value, the first two-thirds outweigh the last third enough for me to say it's a four. I think the first episode here is a four, and the second episode here is a two. <laughs> so my the question for me is whether that averages out, or if somehow, you know, the first right. half you know, outweighs the second half. Um, I mean... This is better than the Dogs of War. Yeah. And I gave the Dogs of War a three. It's got some of the same problems that the Dogs of War has. You know, the yeah. sort of scattershot approach to storytelling. Um, oh, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll grudgingly give this a four. <laughs> it's a grudging four. I, I don't want to, but... It's better than the previous episode, which I gave a three. 
and I would have to, you know, split hairs and say that this is a high three and that's a low three. I don't know. I, I can I can see a four for this. Enough interesting stuff happens. You just kind of want to fast forward through the last 20 minutes. You do. You do. Yeah, you know what it is? It, it shows in a weird way, like... And again, like we keep bringing up Battlestar, or at least I keep bringing up Battlestar, because I, I do see so much of Deep Space Nine in Battlestar's DNA. Well, hey, the ending there unraveled, too. So. <laughs> no, sure. That, that, <laughs> that was worse. <laughs> oh, yeah. I agree with that completely. Um, but it is interesting looking back where, you know, as... And as much as I criticize Brandon Braga's work at Voyager Places, and in the coming seasons, I will have a lot to say. He did have... It, it, I mean, the reason the stuff... there's, I think there's a reason the stuff we love the most so far, um, aside from any nostalgia value or it being what we might have encountered earliest, um, is the TNG that they worked on together. They did have a synergistic ability to draw out of each other the best of their work. Yeah, you know... Like, Jerry Taylor would have found a way to have a scene about Cassidy's pregnancy that did not rely on morning sickness. Yeah. Well, Jerry Taylor would have written more interesting characters. Yeah. Um, no, that it, it, that's... Brandon Braga and Ron Moore cover each other's weaknesses. You know? Brandon Braga, to my mind, has problems with beginning middle and end you know <laughs> yeah like he's a great idea guy right he comes up with interesting concepts that have a great hook that draw viewers in but sometimes not every time he's written some great episodes but sometimes you know things peter out and like he can't write himself out of the corner that the concept got him into right yeah and ron moore is just less of a big idea sci-fi writer you know, he's more of a political thriller, you know, yeah. action-oriented writer. Um, and so when they combine, you know, you get the best of both worlds. Yeah. Uh, so to speak. Kind of literally. <laughs> um, I don't think they wrote, I don't think Ron Moore was on staff. But, but yeah, it just, um, it, this needed, it, for the back half to be what they wanted it to, they would have had to have done bigger work over the seven seasons to make the characters a little more fleshed out. Well, to make the pirate stuff work better and to make the Cisco storyline make more sense, you know, like it kind of felt like an ass pull, didn't it? Yeah. It's like, and you're going to sacrifice yourself because this episode says so. Right. Yeah. If they had said anything like that a season ago, two seasons ago, or in the first fricking episode. Yeah. Right. In the pilot, you're going to, you're going to die. Because you're the emissary. Right. You know, then it would have made more sense. Yeah. Here it just feels it almost cruel. Right. Cruelly arbitrary. Right. They're just making it up as they go. Kind of like the final five silence. <laughs> yes. Well. <laughs> um, hmm. So, season seven, I've generally enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. The... I think it's a, actually a pretty strong season. Yeah. I like the stuff they did with Esri. Like, This is going to be, you know, for whoever listens to this or cares, you know, possibly an unpopular opinion. I like Ezri more than Jadzia. Hmm. And do you know why? It's because I can identify with her more. Like, she's going through this whole, like, uh, you know, trill thing 
almost like a Mary Sue. You know, like I can be surprised and repelled and, you know, like find it hard to deal with along with the character, you know, whereas Jadzia, she's just like, it's her thing, you know, she, she's an expert at it. She's done it forever, you know. Like, I feel like they didn't know who they wanted Jadzia to be. Oh, criminally so, yeah. Like, is she going to be Spock? Is she going to be McCoy? It, like, it's like they, they didn't quite know what to do with her until basically she shacked up with Worf, hmm. you know, uh, which is kind of sad um, because she should be an interesting female character in her And with that said, is Ezri the best character? No. But at least... Her story makes sense, you know? Like, Bashir was a mess. Season to season. Yeah. They didn't know what the fuck they were doing with Bashir. You know, he's like a sexual harasser. He's a genetic superman. He's a regular guy. He's a lovelorn, you know, lost puppy. Like, pick one, you know? And stick with it. Um, but anyway, my point about season seven was the Esri stuff worked for me. I liked it. The setup and resolution, it at least felt like it had direction, even if there were flubs here and there. Um, you know, like it just, it seemed more, it had more of a direction. It was less, okay. less aimless. Seasons one and two felt really aimless. Yeah. The Dominion stuff helped. Then they kind of like forgot about it for half seasons here and there. But then, you know, it's like they, they worked it out in season seven. Okay, um, so I like season seven. It'll be interesting to see how, yeah. the, how the numbers shake out. Uh, how do you feel about season seven? I think overall, it's a, it's definitely. I think it's a stronger season. I think it's, pro- it's probably definitely above the series average, and I think maybe even above the franchise average. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, a lot of what when they did the things they did well, I think they did them very well. I continue to applaud and be delighted by the ambition, if nothing else, of the ending arc. Like when we get when we get uh, Star Trek Hitler and the Star Trek Pope making out while plotting Armageddon, there's just no way not to be enthralled, even from like a horrified, can't look away, rubbernecking standpoint. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's where I was. I'm just saying like, well, stuff is happening. There's you something for everyone. You can't say stuff is not happening because there is stuff, and it is definitely happening. Um, I think effects wise, they had a lot of good episodes. I think, um, for introducing a new character in the last season, I think they did as good a job as even a, you know, not science fiction show would have done trying to ground that new character in the time allotted. Well, I mean, you can agree or disagree with me here. I do think they did a better job with seven of nine. Oh yeah. In Voyager. Yeah. Like, that was an amazing character introduction and development. Yeah. Uh, and along Maybe the same, to, the, to the expense of some of the other characters. Yeah, yeah. They didn't they didn't do that as much here. Yeah. Uh, no, but it was a good introduction. Yeah. It was solid. I think season six might be better. Um, that opening arc, I think, is stronger than the closing arc. Okay. Well, we'll have to see. But we'll see how the numbers shake out. As far as the series as a whole, it's still not my favorite. Uh, and for me, it's because of two things. One is that I don't find the characters all that likable. <laughs> like, Julian's kind of not likable. Yeah. And Cisco, kind of not likable. 
I kind of wish the show, if the show were being done today, and, and I'll be interested to see how, what they do with Discovery on this point, I think the TV viewing audience, um, after, you know, Mad Men and Breaking Bad and Sopranos, like, there's there's been a whole generation of people where not just dislikable, but completely disrupt, like, anti-heroes can be the flagship emotional core of a premiere, of a prestige TV series. And I'm curious, like, what would it be to have a Star Trek series where some of the characters just weren't likable? Like, what if Wesley Crusher were actually a jerk and not just a bit of an immature brat? <laughs> and that's kind of what I started to think about Bashir. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to me, it doesn't work in the universe. Like to me, they, I get, I get that. Um, but there's also, I also think there's a line between fundamentally a decent person who, when push comes to shove, will make the moral choice in a broader context versus, oh Christ, I have to work on this project with them. Uh, like there is still interpersonal conflict in the universe and there are people who are going to be a little annoying to be around. Right? There has to be enough variation in human personalities for there still to be clashes, right? Yeah. I I just don't think we'll ever see like a Jamie Lannister or a Cersei or a <laughs> Joffrey or something yeah. in Star Trek. Yeah, no, I, I take that. I'm just saying I think it would be interesting if okay, look, a lot of what I think like about Deep Space Nine has worked its way into television writ large in terms of, you know, serialized storytelling, moral complexity, like uh, you know, talk political dramas. There's so hell, even even sci-fi fantasy as a genre has exploded. Here's the thing: yeah. I agree in general with the idea that more complexity. I, I love shows with you know morally despicable yeah. lead characters. You know, House of Cards, fun to watch. Yeah. Despicable lead character. Game of Thrones, loaded with despicable characters. Terrific show. Um. I feel like they tried to have their cake and eat it too here. I get, I, I like get they, they would try, like you'd have like, what's what's in the, in the pale moonlight? Yeah. Um, you know they'd have an episode like that where Cisco crosses a line. Yeah. You know, and then the next episode everything's back to normal and Cisco's you know a genial happy guy, yeah. right? And so it it just none of it ever sticks, and. If you're going to make the characters interesting in that way, you've got to keep them being interesting. If you go back on it, then it's just like, well, there's that thing that happened that does not inform my reading of the character anymore. Yeah. And so they, so I, I feel like the characters are weak in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, in the balance, Deep Space Nine remains my second favorite franchise. Quark, Quark is by far oh, the best. Oh, God, yes. And, and, not, and because he's morally complex and, and stays so, that and way. Likeable, and likable. Yeah. In sp both in spite of and because of his moral ambiguity. He is who he is. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, like I said, I, the show just hits a lot of bumpers for me, and I don't deny that it fails in places, but I feel like, and I, I, I'm really saving this synthesis of a thesis, this, this thesis uh, for the end of our Voyager reviews, but I feel where Deep Space Nine failed, it attempted to and failed to do its thing. Where Voyager failed, it felt like inertia it felt like a passive failure as opposed to an active one yeah, and so. i will appreciate i will just respond in my own internal sense of like I, I just get a bigger chart i would rather watch someone run like miss the door and hit the wall but leave like a cartoon outline of themselves because they hit the wall with such vigor as opposed it just yeah and, and once once deep space nine starts hitting on 
all its cylinders, like with seasons like four, five, and six, I'm just engaged. I was just, I was just like, oh, shit, I really want to know what happens. And uh, which, which, because I, I do love TNG more because of its stronger character work, but I, I will always have a soft spot in my heart for Deep Space Nine for its occasionally wackadoo storytelling. I just, uh, it is, it, it speaks to me specific in a way that yeah. um, the other series did not latch on. And again. Maybe, maybe that's something to be said for who I was when I was watching it and where I was in my life, but you know, I don't know how how much, how useful it is to try to separate out your personality from your opinions. For me, uh, oh, I mean, it's probably going to go TNG, TOS, yeah, Voyager, DS9, and then there's a huge drop off, <laughs> yeah, and Enterprise, which I still like, and then there's like a precipice. And at the bottom of that precipice, maybe another mile down into the mantle of the Earth, is <laughs> the Abrams first. The Abrams ship. Um, you know, and it's to me, TNG was great because it mixed, it melded, yeah, both compelling characters and compelling individual storylines. I I freely admit that they rarely. Although they did have some continuing story ideas, yeah. they revisited things, but they rarely, if ever, went for ambitious arc type yeah. storytelling. Um, you know, TOS. Actually, it's very similar. Uh, you know, there's less world building, but extremely strong main characters, and then, you know, basically they just saw what they, it was. It was a brand new world, you know, and they could try out every sci-fi trope or create every sci-fi trope they wanted to. Yeah. So it has a lot of vigor. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I almost don't put TOS in the rankings when I rank them in my head because I, I've obviously seen some, some episodes several times, but the only, some of the episodes I've only seen when we did them for the podcast, like there were a handful of them. And it's all like, it's like, it's almost like I don't have a like free form opinion of the show as just a viewer because I just didn't watch it as much. Like, I watched the movies a lot. I watched TNG a lot. Um, With TOS, you felt like anything could happen. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's a very exciting kind of format. Mm. You know, TNG is repeating the format. And so you, you're a little more like, okay, maybe not anything could happen, but they're doing it at such a high level that I'm really yeah. into it. I mean, it. yeah, it's... All of this has been just an analytical exercise for second place because I think we both agree. I've I've yet to see someone tell me. I'm trying to think. Do I know anyone who doesn't think TNG is the best? Oh, I, there are lots of people online who swear up and down DS9 is by far the best. They're wrong. I mean, even if I were on board with all the praise that you're going to heap on DS9, it's still not as good as TNG. It's, uh, There's just no way. I mean. It, just in terms of sheer consistency. Yeah, yeah. You know, like TNG was like so good for four straight seasons with basically like one stinker, and it was almost always a Loxana episode, you know, <laughs> per season. But then like everything else, just like bam, 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 classic, classic, classic. And it's classic because it's got likable, interesting characters going through real changes, but then also slam bang high-concept sci-fi yeah. stories, you know? And DS9 doesn't have that. When DS9 works, it works because the political stuff works, you know? 
Like, mm. when they spent the time and the energy and the effort making Bajor interesting, I was interested. Okay, here's a, here's When a, they half-ass it, I'm just yeah. like, why am I here? Here's a question. Um, one, of the, one of the vectors that we measure the show on is how much of a science fiction story it tells, because it is a science fiction show in a science fiction genre in part of a science fiction genre that this franchise helped create. What if we just, what if we removed that? What if we just said, this is a drama? Would our analysis of Deep Space Nine, freed from the requirement of needing to do higher concept science fiction, would that make it a, would, would it would it be easier to estimate the show as better, or would it be more accurate to judge the show that way? It, like, yeah, it's something I, think I don't think it would be accurate, because a good third, you know, of the episodes do try they just don't usually try it all that well okay to do high concept sci-fi i'm just i'm just i'm just curious it's it's one of those i wonder how much genre impacts analysis like it's one of those like when people ask me do i like star trek or star wars better i'm like you would not have asked me that question if they both didn't have the word star in the title there's nothing else that would suggest these two things need to be it's like asking me do i like serial do you like or, Friends or House of Cards better? Right. There, there's just there's no reason to to directly compare the two, um, other than the fact that they both share they're both two word titles that start with the word star. Well, so I like I don't think you can take the Star Trek out of Deep Space Nine. I don't think you can view it as its own thing. I I have a very hard time believing anybody would come to this show and become a a rabid fan. And I know there's someone out there who has done this, but I would have a hard time believing it if they could come to it fresh with no love or knowledge of hmm. other Star Trek. I feel like you have to have that to give a shit. Hmm. Because the Bajor stuff just isn't strong That enough. is an interesting question. I'm going to pose that to my Star Trek friends on Facebook and see what they say. The Bajor stuff is not yeah. strong enough to warrant interest alone, you know? And so mm. I feel like you have to be... Certainly already, not in the first two seasons. You already have to be invested in the world. Okay, okay. I, I will not disagree And then the that. Dominion stuff, you already have to care about the Federation to care that the Dominion is, is it's encroaching. It's a threat, yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So... I, well, food for thought. I, I think it's unfair to try to oh, no, I'm, I'm cherry-pick. Oh, no, I'm just asking academically. To, <laughs> if freed from the expectation that it would be telling science fiction per se, does the show shake out differently and you may you make some interesting points so just something to think i agree that voyager is flawed i think the characters are unimpeachable like there is no i mean look they, they wasted chakotay fine and harry kim and kess but having dud characters is no big deal <laughs> if you've got four or five really well, really I'm, well i'm waiting to see how sh- uh, i i distinctly recall the show taking off hard right turn into a lot of seven stories. Yeah, it's a lot of seven and doctors. And I'm curious to what my feelings about that will be um, by the time we're done. So I'm, I, I, and I'm going to I think you will find, Kevin, that uh, Tom and Bellana get a lot of play in the later yeah. seasons. I, I, I am just claiming this now. Even if I numerically give Voyager better numbers, <laughs> Deep Space Nine is still my second favorite yeah, that's show. Fine. <laughs> that's fine. That's perfectly understandable. Um, Voyager has flaws. And many of the flaws are because it was trying to essentially recapitulate the TNG formula, you know, like Alien of the Week, yeah. new sci-fi story every week. But they were just naturally retreading, yeah. you know, territory that oh, no, it, it already got, been trodden upon. Well, it was just what it, at one point uh, I remember an interview with John Ritter where 
you were talking about Three's Company. It's like in the first ep- in the first season, there was an episode where they had to hide a dog from Mr. Roper, and then like the seventh season, they were hiding a cat from Mr. Furley, and it was like. <laughs> Literally, like, did no one catch this? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how I started to feel about several. There were several Voyager episodes where I'm like, I can tell you the three TNG episodes this Frankenstein into. Um, but we'll see. I'm, I, my rewatch of Voyager has softened my opinion on on several things. I still think. Oh, the Kazon suck yeah. Yeah, there's no way around it. Why does Star Trek take two seasons to get good? <laughs> Except for TOS. TOS. Yeah started fresh probably because it was a, they could just do whatever they, they wanted. wanted yeah you know? well here's hoping discovery doesn't take two seasons to get good because it probably won't get good yeah <sighs> why you would try to create a prequel another again, prequel like, this just... is the third in a row now you know because that's essentially what the abrams movies are oh, yeah as yeah. well but yeah enterprise failed why did it fail? Because it was so hemmed in, right? Right. It, the movies, well, I guess, were a financial success, but to me, they failed because <laughs> they're trying to redo things that don't need to be redone. Okay, so now you're just like, hey, let's try that again, you know? But even if you wanted to set a story, so what? what is it? It's the period between TOS and the movies? No, no, it's the period before. It's, oh, no, it's before it's TOS. Between the cage and TOS. Okay. I... I think the Federation is big enough to sustain more than one story about a dozen people. I think you'd agree with me, right? Yeah, absolutely. If you wanted to tell a story that existed in the universe at or near the same time, you could get away with it. But it can't be a prequel. Like, it has to be its own set of stories that may take place in this universe, but aren't so intimately connected. Here's the thing. The overall history of the Star Trek universe is not really material to your enjoyment of any of the shows. True. It doesn't matter. What matters to the shows is strong characters and strong individual stories. You know, that's why TNG worked. You know, it's like they would talk about shit like the Tomed incident. It doesn't matter what the Tomed incident is. Right. You know, it matters what the characters are going through on screen right Right. now while I'm watching it. You don't have to build a world. And so, by the same token, you don't have to fill in blanks in the world because the blanks aren't what are interesting. It's also not, it's also at some point impossible. Yeah. You've painted yourself into a corner where so much of it has been discussed and so much of it is like... Well, and so many conflicting discussions. I don't need to see the the signing of the Treaty of Algeron (laughs) to care about Pegasus. And you don't have to know why the Klingons got their ridges. Yeah. Right? Was the episode, Was it a clever winking thing? Yes. Fine. Was but, it necessary? No. no. The, the best. The best explanation was always trials and tribulations. Yeah. What's necessary is likable, interesting, good characters, or unlikable, interesting, good characters, <laughs> and strong plots. That's what's necessary. You don't need to fill up. Enterprise was completely superfluous. It was only good. When the stories were interesting, the individual stories, it was not interesting in its own right because it was taking place before TOS. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Yep. Tell interesting stories with the general backdrop. Okay, so back to Deep Space yeah. Nine. Does Deep Space Nine tell interesting stories within the general backdrop? I think it touched on a lot of interesting stuff. 
that none of the other series touch on. Religion, you know, uh, deep politics, refugee, you know, like the way they introduced the Bajorans at the end of TNG made their questions really interesting. Yeah. You know, like, what do we do about a displaced people, right? Like, that's a very interesting question that we have to grapple with today. Not just in 1996, but now, right now, you know, with your Syrians or, you know, whomever you want to point your finger at. Um, So there's interesting stuff going on. And the court character gives us the outsider's perspective of the Federation, which, if I'm going to pick two things besides... Kira Odo, that irritate the shit out of me about Deep Space Nine. It's the way the Ferengi were... Ugh. The Zek shit was just horrible. And then the Mirror Universe shit. Like, those are the two... Like, Ferengi episodes were almost always death. And the only reason they weren't the, the odd successful one was because it was a Quark episode, not a Ferengi episode. It wasn't about Ferengi culture. It wasn't about, oh, look at those wacky Ferengi and the things they do. No, it was about Quark. Yeah. Quark is interesting. The Ferengi are not. Okay? And then the Mirror Universe, it's like, what What did they think they were doing there? What, what did they think they were up to? You know, like, <laughs> I want to be charitable and try to get inside their heads. And, like, they're like, oh, this is so cool. Like, this is going to be so great. The fans are going to love it. But talk about completely unnecessary storytelling, right? And then just arbitrary, pointless mugging, you know. Ah, God, those episodes were horrible. To, to an episode. I mean, the first one was the best of the bunch, and it still wasn't that good. Yeah. Hmm. Um... You know what was a great episode of Deep Space Nine that always sticks out to me is the one with the harvesters. The biological Yeah, weapons. yeah, yeah. Like, that to me is the emblematic thing that DS9 should be doing. Because you're so focused on planets, because you're so focused on conflicts, get into, like, war stories, you know? Get into stories about what happens to people after a war, you know? When, when weapons of mass destruction hurt millions of people and have long-lasting effects, you know? Like, you know what's an interesting story? Hiroshima and Nagasaki, five years later, ten years later. Do that, right? That's kind of what the Harvester story was to me, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm not conflating two episodes, right? No, no, like, no you Bashir don't. went there and was dealing with the sick. Oh, no, you're thinking of the Quickening. Well, so those two episodes, yeah, yeah. the one with the Harvesters, the biological weapons, and then the Quickening, which was basically the aftermath of a biological right. war, right? Like, that's interesting. And not coincidentally, gave Bashir interesting things to do, <laughs> you know, which was unusual. Yeah. Um, and the Bashir, like, I liked the Bashir genetic engineering angle because I liked showing the underside of this utopia. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that does that. Well, and like, and it makes sense, like, in a society where everyone is a PhD in everything and can have, three, based on your lifespan, have two, if not three, 
decades-long careers. Well, and, and like, what is it like to be an average or below average person? Yeah, what's it like to have an IQ of ninety in a utopia? Right. You know, where like, like, like it, it, in a, in a way, it's almost like the perverse. Like when Picard says, "We've abandoned money. We only care about improving ourselves." What? How does a person value themselves if they tap out on their improvement? Yeah, that's a fun idea. Yeah. So, so I, I. I, I think start I think Deep Space Nine engaged enough of those questions enough of the time with enough skill to earn its place in my heart. But I get that there I get that Move Along Home was bad, <laughs> inexcusably bad. Um, <laughs> uh, we really should assemble like a worst of the franchise list, like not just like in individual series, oh, yeah. but like Absolutely. collectively. Like, how do you rate Move Along Home against the Thaw? What hurts your soul more? <laughs> Hmm. I'm gonna say move along home. I, gonna... At least the thought had a nice ending, where Janeway got to twist the knife into the clown. Yeah. You know, that... move along home was just unremitting shit <laughs> from beginning to end. I mean, if 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 hell exists and I go there for any reason, it's going to be a small room with like the characters from the Thaw singing Alan Arrange yeah. me for eternity. Oh, they're they're both bad. <laughs> um. Hmm. Yeah, and you know, you got your threshold, you got uh, code of honor, which is almost so bad it's good. Not not code of it honor. Doesn't quite get Justice there. is so bad it's good. Code of <laughs> honor is just atrocious. Code of honor. Code of honor is probably the worst of the worst because it legitimately makes me question the sanity of the people primarily responsible and the competence of the people secondarily responsible in a way that no other episode does. Like, you can see how Threshold started as a good episode and got away from them. Like an eager little puppy. It just skittered right out of their arms. In some ways, except for the finale, Enterprise's worst episodes aren't quite as bad because the whole thing is so mushy. Like, it, it's not as jarring. Yeah. Maybe. Like, the whole thing is so mediocre that it's, it's not it offensive. Right. Yeah. When there's a particularly mediocre or bad episode. Um, <laughs> and I say that as someone who still enjoys watching Enterprise. <clears throat> it's not a bad show. No, the Vulcan arc was good. The um, Earth First people, terrifyingly prescient. Oh, season four was quite good. Yeah. And I would be shocked if season four didn't kind of reach the numerical level of maybe season three of TNG. Hmm. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. I'll, there's going to be a a big you know anchor at the end drawing the average down. Yeah, I I don't know how the Excel spreadsheet will handle emoticons of crying <laughs> when it runs the numbers. <laughs> so deep space nine. I mean, is it Star Trek? Yes. Is it worth watching as a Star Trek fan? Yes. Is it consistently good? No. <laughs> Do I care about the characters all that much? No. I care about a couple. With the exception yeah. of maybe Quark. Yeah. And I like Kara. I just, Kara just always did it for me. Yeah, she, yeah, doesn't do it for me. I, she might have threatened to do it for me if she had just told Odo, to, you know, where the fuck to get off and <laughs> not shacked up with him, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know, so... I suppose we'll do it again with Voyager. Is Voyager Star Trek? Yes. 
Is Voyager worth watching as a Star Trek fan? Yes. Uh, are the characters good? For the most part, yes. So to me, that's why it stands above. It's all worth watching. I think Voyager has a. We can all get along. Yeah, I think Voyager has a has its own consistency problem, and yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. seasons one and two. Well, season two is horrifically bad. Season three is so so and has some good stuff, you know. Um, and then we'll we'll discuss later seasons. I gotta say, I just wish, looking back, I just wish it didn't take Star Trek writers two seasons to find the goddamn fairway. Yeah. Especially, like, for G-Space 9 and Voyager. None of you were new to the job, and none of you were new to Star Trek. Why does it take you so long to figure out what your yeah. actors are good at and the kind of stories you like to tell? <laughs> yeah. Now that TNG's already in the books, it's, it should be muscle memory at this point. You should be able to start, within a half a season, work out the kinks, right? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I was so excited for when Brian Fuller was going to be doing Discovery because he's done so many amazing things I love. I was so excited for that. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll be here. It'll, it'll be novel to podcast a live series. Star Trek we've never seen. Um, I suppose we'll have to watch it first right, and then yeah, podcast yeah. it. Um, and we'll have to split a login. <laughs> Fuck you, CBS. Yeah. Because uh, uh, Netflix is on to the whole VPN thing, so it's not even like you can fake that you're from another country yeah. anymore. Well, it's only going to be 13 episodes, too, right? Yeah. That's my understanding. They're, it's going to be short seasons. And they're going to be long season arcs. Okay, well, hey, 13 episodes. Like, I, I'm a big fan of the British model of TV. Um, hey, give us, like, eight fucking amazing episodes. So I can then wait that. three years while you figure it out and give us <laughs> eight more. I'll take like faulty, I always assumed faulty. When I was a kid, that faulty towers ran for like twenty years. There's like six episodes, like literally a cornerstone of British comedy, and it's like a cumulative four hours. <laughs> it's just like when you're done, you're done. Step away. <laughs> All right. All right. So that was what you leave behind, and. An awkward episode that capped an occasionally awkward series, but one that continues, I think, to uh, hold its its place in that. I think awkward is <laughs> a, a very appropriate term for Deep Space Nine. And, yeah, like, an awkward teenager. Sometimes very alluring, sometimes very repulsive. You know? Like, that, that's, yeah, that's Deep Space Nine. It's like... Sometimes it's just like, why am I watching this? And other times it's like, that was really good. Yeah, I, I just, I, I look back, like, this is the gawky, angry goth teenager where sometimes, like, yeah, they're going through some shit, and I understand why they're so angry, and then sometimes it's like, oh, God, I just want to slap. Yeah, get over yourself. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, between, like, the, you know, Siege of Air 558 or In the Pale Moonlight, that there's just... So, or so much there there that it it just uh it still doesn't for me even on rewatch it doesn't there's a few episodes where i was like i remember liking those a little bit more a little bit less or whatever but nothing that i've watched has radically altered my opinion anything with ducat worked oh yeah anything with wayun worked anything with garrick really generally worked yeah. there were a few where he was tertiary to the plot but wait a minute. How come I'm not saying anything with Cisco worked? Anything with 
Bashir worked. Anything with O'Brien worked. Like, I should be able to say that. I would say most of the O'Brien stuff Most works. O'Brien stuff worked. But how much of that is because we just already like O'Brien? That's true. Oh, yeah. All right, we're, we're going in circles, and it is getting late here. Um, what you leave behind? A good but not great episode from an occasionally bad, occasionally good, occasionally great series. Yeah. I, I give it a grudging four. We give it an eight total. Uh, you know, I think that's fair. Yeah. It's justifiable. Yeah. Um, all right, well, then, so we'll have to get cracking on, is it season five of Voyager? Yeah, I think so. And we'll, hopefully we'll be a little more consistent now because uh, I just moved into a new place. And uh, uh, my father likes to say moving is worse than dying in terms of stress because when someone dies, you only have to pack. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> don't have to unpack. Okay. That's very clever. Well, live long and prosper. All right, have a good night, everyone.